Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to episode 94 of the Creative Writers Toolbelt. So a bit of news to start with. Some of you will know that I'm in the process of bringing the very best of what will be the first 100 episodes of the podcast together in book form. And I'll be publishing that book under the title The Creative Writers Toolbelt Handbook in the autumn of this year. And I've got the first draft of the cover art ready for the book now. So that's on a blog on my website. You can go and check it out if you want to. It's andrewjchamberlain.com. And if you want to get a taste of what the book is going to be like, then check out the Creative Writers Toolbelt Highlights, a new ebook that's out right now, giving you some of the best advice in areas like planning your story, characters and characterization, setting and world building, research, and the sound of your writing. So that Highlights ebook will give you a taste of what's to come in the handbook, and it's absolutely free to any listener of the podcast. All you need to do to get a copy of the Highlights ebook is to drop me a line. You can do that directly by email. It's andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com, or you can go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, go to the contact page, send me a message asking for a copy of the free Highlights ebook, and I'll send that to you. Okay, so let's get to the content of this podcast. And today we're looking at how to use theme and moral within a story. And I'm connecting theme and moral because I think most themes are actually deeply associated with morality and with ethics. So when you think about the themes in a story, you come up with things like the dangers of ambition, the need for social justice, the importance of family and friends, coming of age, the problem of unrestrained greed, the nature of guilt. So whatever themes you think of, nearly all of them seem to connect in some way with ethics and morality. So in this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about how themes and ethics and morality work together. And when we come to some practical suggestions around this, I'll explore a little bit more about how those connections work and how you can use them to best effect in your story. So I want to give you what I think are the two key principles for this area of writing, for the issue of integrating themes into your writing successfully. And of course, I'll be backing up these two principles with a number of examples. So those two key principles are simply this. First of all, don't make your story the servant of some theme or moral cause, whether it's a political cause or a religious cause or whatever it is. If you want to write the best story that you can, the themes and the morals within that story have to serve the story, not the other way around. Now, the second point is connected to the first and qualifies it. Whilst I don't think you should subvert your story to follow a cause, the best stories absolutely do have themes and morals and ethics in them. And those themes should be demonstrated in the story. There should be real moral and ethical implications for what happens. So let's unpack all this a little bit and I'll deal with the first point first, which is the principle that themes and morals should be subservient to the story. Let me explain what I mean by that. Have you ever read something or watched a film or some television and become aware that the thing the author or director wants most is to actually persuade you of something? They're not trying to create the best story they can. They want to change your mind or they want to suggest that you believe something in a certain way. And what you're seeing or reading, in fact, is a piece of propaganda, a device to make you think in a certain way. And when you realise that, you may begin to find yourself thinking that the story is sounding a bit contrived and a bit manufactured just for this purpose. Now, my reaction when I sense this happening is I just simply switch off. I close the book. I stop watching that television program. And no one likes to be lectured to. No one likes to be following a story to discover that they're being manipulated in some way to make a particular point. 
So my point here is this, if you want to write the best story you can, don't use that story just as a vehicle for whatever cause you want to promote, whether it's your religious cause or your political cause or whatever it is, don't bend your story out of shape to make a point. Let the story make the point for you. And if the story just can't make that point, you have to make a decision. Either you stop telling that story or you don't make that point. Now, I want to illustrate this with two perspectives on this issue from two very different but successful creative people. Now, the first one is a guy called Pete Doctor. You may not have heard of Pete Doctor, but you might well have watched one of his films that he's directed. In 2015, the animation studio Pixar released a film called Inside Out. The film was set in the mind of a young girl and explores her emotions as she copes with moving to a new town, the stresses of losing friends and the challenge of growing up. Now, you might have seen that film. It was a great film and very successful. Now, that film explores a whole range of themes alienation, family relationships, friendships, growing up, love, and the need for emotional connection. And all of these themes carry with them an ethical and moral position. But in Inside Out, they were explored within and in harmony with the story. Now, the director of Inside Out, Pete Doctor, is a declared Christian, but you definitely won't find any explicit Christian themes or story elements in the film, even though many of the film's themes are broadly sympathetic to the Christian faith. The fact that there's no explicit presentation of one particular faith or any faith in that film is no accident. On this subject, Doctor himself says this. I don't think people in any way, shape or form like to be lectured to. When people go to a movie, they want to see some sort of experience of themselves on the screen. They don't come to be taught. So in that sense, in terms of any sorts of beliefs, I don't want to feel as though I'm ever lecturing or putting an agenda out. Let's take another example from a very different person, and this is the author, China Mieville. Now, China Mieville has written some wonderful weird fiction. These stories explore themes of power and social justice and inclusion and diversity. And for China Mieville, politics is a critical part of life. He's a passionate exponent of left-wing politics. He was once a member of the Socialist Workers' Party in the United Kingdom and is currently here a member of Left Unity. Now, this is what Mieville says about the relationship between his politics and his writing. I'm not a leftist trying to smuggle in my evil message by nefarious means of fantasy novels. I'm a science fiction and fantasy geek. I love this stuff. And when I write my novels, I'm not writing them to make political points. I'm writing them because I passionately love monsters and the weird and horror stories and strange situations and surrealism. And what I want to do is communicate that. But because I come at this with a political perspective, the world that I'm creating is embedded with many of the concerns that I have. I'm trying to say that I've invented this world that I think is really cool and I have these really big stories to tell in it. And one of the ways that I find to make that interesting is to think about it politically. If you want to do that too, that's fantastic. But if not, isn't this a cool monster? And if you've read any of China Mievel's work, you'll know that indeed, very often, it is a cool monster. Now, I don't share China Mievel's political perspective, but that doesn't matter. I love his work. I love the weird stuff that he writes. But if he wrote something that was overtly trying to persuade me to his political point of view, I would reject it. I'd just simply stop reading it. So I hope you can see from these two illustrations that your aim should be to tell a great story, not to use that story as a vehicle for your cause. Don't push your story out of shape to accommodate a point just because you want to make it. Now that brings me to the second point. And as China Mievel implied in what he said, as writers, we shouldn't really be surprised that our beliefs emerge within the writing. 
The fact is that themes and their associated ethical and moral considerations absolutely should appear in stories. All the best stories have themes in them and those themes have consequences and they address moral and ethical issues. That's okay, but we need to be aware of it. We need to present these themes and concepts that may well be very important to us consciously and within the story. So let's have a look at some examples of where this has been done well. First of all, friendship and loyalty in the Harry Potter series. In that series, Harry and his friends prevail in no small part because of the strong bond that exists between the three central protagonists. That's Harry, Ron and Hermione. But also because of the network of relationships between the wider array of family and friends across those seven books. So we see that, for example, in the first book, The Philosopher's Stone, where Ron and Harry rescue Hermione from a troll. They go out of their way to do this. They go and find Hermione because she is their friend and they care about her and they think she is in danger, which she most certainly is. And they show great bravery in confronting this troll and loyalty to Hermione. Now, J.K. Rowling in those books does not go on explicitly about friendship and loyalty, but she shows these virtues in the story. Let's move on and think about the theme of love overcoming pride and prejudice. And we see that in the book titled Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. In that book, the author explores the nature of pride and prejudice and the dynamic of overcoming these human weaknesses for the cause of love. She doesn't tell us that pride and prejudice are are wrong, but she sprinkles the text with deliciously ironic and amusing observations. So we have these two main characters. We have Darcy, the male love interest, and Elizabeth, the female love interest. And they spend much of this book confronting their own personal issues and the structural and social issues around them so that they can come together. And there is in the book a famous confrontation between Elizabeth and Lady Catherine de Burr, and they spar verbally on this issue of social divide and prejudice. Now, Lady Catherine de Burr is the nephew of the male love interest, Darcy. Lady Catherine wants Darcy to marry her daughter instead, and it offends her sensibilities deeply that Elizabeth, this upstart Elizabeth, wants to take Darcy from her own daughter. Here's an excerpt from the book, with Lady Catherine speaking first. I will not be interrupted. Hear me in silence. My daughter and my nephew are formed for each other. They are descended on the maternal side from the same noble line, and on the father's side from respectable, honourable and ancient, though untitled, families. Their fortune on both sides is splendid. They are destined for each other by the voice of every member of their respective houses. And what is to divide them? The upstart pretensions of a young woman without family, connections or fortune? Is this to be endured? If you were sensible of your own good, you would not wish to quit the sphere in which you have been brought up. In marrying your nephew, says Elizabeth, I should not consider myself quitting that sphere. He is a gentleman. I am a gentleman's daughter. So far, we are equal. True, says Lady Catherine, you are a gentleman's daughter, but who was your mother? Who are your aunts and uncles? Do not imagine me ignorant of their condition. Whatever my connections may be, said Elizabeth, if your nephew does not object to them, they can be nothing to you. And so this conversation goes on. And it's an absolute delight to hear those words and to imagine these two characters sparring. But also within that context, the author is exploring all of these issues, all of these themes, the issue of love overcoming barriers, the the issue of social class and pride and prejudice. 
Let's move on and think about another theme which has been used in art and literature for centuries, and that is murder and guilt as a consequence. In Shakespeare's work from 400 years ago, we see the theme of murder and its consequences examined in bloody detail in the play Macbeth. In that play, the ambitious Lady Macbeth provokes her husband into killing the king so that he, Macbeth, can take the throne of Scotland, making her, Lady Macbeth, queen. Now, at the start of the play, Lady Macbeth is dark and fierce and ambitious, but during the course of the play, guilt gnaws away at her, and by Act 5, she is tormented, sleepwalking, and trying symbolically to wash her hands of the blood she has helped to spill. And in scene one of Act 5, we see one of her gentlewomen, one of her serving women, and a doctor look on as Lady Macbeth, while sleepwalking, performs this ritual hand washing. Here are a few lines from that scene to give you a flavour for what's going on. Lo you, here she comes, this is her very guise, said the gentlewoman, and upon my life fast asleep, observe her, stand close. How came she by that light, said the doctor? Why, it stood by her, she has light by her continually, tis her command. You see her eyes are open, aye, but their sense is shut. What is it she does now? Look how she rubs her hands. It is an accustomed action with her, to seem thus washing her hands. I have known her continue in this a quarter of an hour. Then Lady Macbeth starts speaking. Yet here is a spot. Hark, says the doctor, she speaks. I will set down what comes from her to satisfy my remembrance the more strongly. Out, says Lady Macbeth. Damn spot, out, I say. One, two, why then tis time to do it. Hell is murky. Fie, my lord, fie, a soldier and a feared. What need we fear who knows it, when none can call our power to account? Yet who would have thought the old man had so much blood in him? Do you mark that, says the doctor? The Thane of Fife had a wife. Where is she now? What will these hands ne'er be clean? No more of that, my lord, no more of that. Go to, go to, says the doctor. You have known what you should not. She has spoken what she should not, says the gentlewoman. I'm sure of that. Heaven knows what she has known. Here's the smell of blood still, says Lady Macbeth. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. And so the play continues to its inevitable and tragic end. Now, I want to keep the focus on this theme of murder and guilt that comes from it with another example, this one very contemporary and from television. The iconic series Breaking Bad features a character called Jesse Pinkman. You might have seen it. And Jesse is a young meth addict and a drug dealer who attends a rehab meeting and is told that self-hatred and guilt should be rejected in favour of self-acceptance. But Jesse is burdened with the knowledge and guilt of a murder he's committed. And he rejects the self-acceptance philosophy as he's forced by his own conscience to accept what he's done. And in that episode, Jesse confronts the leader over his philosophy of self-acceptance. This is what he says. The thing is, if you just do stuff and nothing happens, what does it all mean? What's the point? You know why I'm here in the first place? He says this to all of the people at this rehab meeting. To sell you meth. You're nothing to me but customers. Are you okay with that? Do you accept that? He says to the leader of the meeting. The session leader says, no, I don't. It's about time, says Jesse. Now, I'd encourage you to go and watch that scene. You can just go to YouTube. It's youtube.com and look for Jesse Pinkman's self-acceptance speech. And it's interesting just to note just for a moment here that these themes are perennial. They come up again and again. The first mention that I know of of this theme of murder and guilt 
goes way back to the work of Geoffrey Chaucer, which was in the 14th century. I'm sure it goes back further than that and there will be other examples. But these themes come up again and again and they're expressed at their best with characters facing real consequences. So my final example of a theme now and the ethical considerations that come with it is from William Golding's novel, The Lord of the Flies. In this novel, a group of schoolboys are stranded on an island and very quickly the trappings of civilised social behaviour slip away and they convert into a group of feral kids, one of whom emerges as a brutal dictator. As Golding observes in the novel, the world, that understandable and lawful world, was slipping away. And by the end of the book, there has been death and there has been violence. And we see one of the characters, Ralph, weeping for his friend, a boy with the nickname Piggy, who is killed on the island. And in the last scene, these feral, wild kids who have been terrorising and brutalising each other are seen from the perspective of this naval officer as just a bunch of little filthy boys. This is how William Golding describes it. And in the middle of them, with filthy body, matted hair and unwiped nose, Ralph wept for the end of innocence, the darkness of man's heart and the fall through the air of a true wise friend called Piggy. Now, all of these examples give us clues as to how to present themes and morals in our work. I think we can boil it down to four practical pieces of advice that will help us to present these themes as effectively as possible in stories. First of all, give your characters consistent and believable aspects that showcase the moral that you want to present. Now, we see this consistently in the loyalty and friendship which Harry Potter and his friends demonstrate. Secondly, keep it real. So make the themes and morals personal to the characters. Ensure that the choices they make matter, for good or ill. All of my examples show this in one way or other. These morals and these themes are not abstract. If you just present them in an abstract way, if you just preach about them, they don't really hit home. They don't really have heart. It matters, for example, that Elizabeth and Darcy in Pride and Prejudice are determined to overcome both pride and prejudice and all the other obstacles to come together. It matters that Lady Macbeth and Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad feel the consequences of the murders that they've been involved in. It matters when law and order break down amongst a bunch of little kids on an island. Third point, weave those themes into the storyline. Show them rather than talking about them. Again, our examples demonstrate this. It's the exercise of these themes in the story that makes them compelling, not just speaking about them in an abstract way or sacrificing the authenticity of the story to make a point. Fourthly, repeat those themes, present them briefly and often during the story so that they have a chance to bed in, to be given credibility and to be given some acknowledgement by the readers. We can see this again in this consistent social commentary in Pride and Prejudice, in the themes that we've discussed in the Harry Potter series which are revisited again and again and in the steady incremental descent of the boys in The Lord of the Flies into savagery. So to sum up then for this podcast, I think there are two main principles that we need to bear in mind when we think about how we treat themes and their associated ethical considerations. And these two principles are, don't make your story the servant of some point that you want to make, whether it's a political cause or a religious cause or whatever it is, because then you will sacrifice the story for the sake of just creating propaganda. The second principle is 
connected to the first and qualifies it. Whilst you shouldn't subvert your story to a particular cause or a particular lesson that you want to teach, the best stories absolutely do have themes in them and those themes should be demonstrated in the story. They have moral and ethical implications and the choices that characters make around those themes should have consequences. And we've said that applying these themes and ethical considerations in a story should revolve around four guidelines. And they are these. First of all, give your characters consistent and believable dimensions that showcase the theme and the ethical issue that you want to present. Secondly, keep it real so that the themes and the morals are personal to the characters. Ensure the choices that people make in your story matter for good or for ill. Third, weave those themes into the storyline. Show them rather than talking about them. And fourth, repeat them briefly and often in the story to really bed them in and give them credibility with your reader. So that's it for today. And in this episode, I have referred to the following works. Macbeth by William Shakespeare and Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, both of which are in the public domain. The Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling, published by Bloomsbury. The Lord of the Flies by William Golding, published by Faber and Faber. And the TV series Breaking Bad, created and produced by Vince Gilligan. I've also quoted from the film director Pete Docter and the author China Mieville. So that's it for this episode. Remember, if you want a free copy of the Creative Writer's Toolbelt Highlights, just email me, andrew at andrewjchamberlain.com or go to my website, andrewjchamberlain.com, go to the contact page, drop me a line and ask for a copy. I do hope all of this has been helpful to you. As ever, thank you for listening and goodbye. <music>